guys, this is TJ Perkins, otherwise known as TJP, otherwise known as the Cruiser Great, otherwise known as the Film Flash, otherwise known as the best technical wrestler in the game, actually maybe just the okayest technical wrestler in the game, and you are listening to the Pro Wrestling Post Podcast. Welcome to the Pro Wrestling Post Podcast. Please visit our website, www prowrestlingpost.com for more interviews, event previews, content reviews, wrestler blogs, and so much more. You can listen to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else podcasts are available. In this episode, Mark talks to former WWE superstar and cruiserweight champion T.J. Perkins. So without further ado, here's Mark and T.J. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pro Wrestling Post podcast. I am joined here by a very special guest, um, former cruiserweight champion, but uh, so much more than that, Mr. T.J. Perkins. T.J., thank you again for your time and your energy. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, now, maybe you can clarify some things, because unlike other guys, I won't use the words, won't try to use the words rumors and innuendo, but uh, it was initially reported... <laughs> Like that. Uh, All right, no, I, 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 like, I like that. <laughs> um, it was initially reported that you were trained um, by a Lucha Libre kind of specific school in California. Is there truth to that? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I started when I was uh, 13 years old. It was 1998, and it was uh, a little uh, little gym in San Bernardino uh, run by Jesse Hernandez and Bill Anderson. So they... they they're very Americanized, generally speaking. They're pretty well-rounded as, as uh, performers and coaches. They had a lot of experience, have a lot of experience. Uh, but a lot of their success was in Mexico. So it's kind of like Jose Lothario for Shawn Michaels. You know, like a lot of it was very Lucha Libre-based, but they, they they had a way of integrating, you know, American culture into, into it. Uh, what was it about this particular school that you felt maybe helped you as opposed to other options that could have been? Because, like, right now there's, like, such an influx of different training schools. But what was it about this particular school out of San, Ber- uh, San Bernardino? Uh, well, they were kind of my only option, actually. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, I had other options, but uh, it, it was, you know, it, it, it was just a sign of the times, man. It was hard to find uh, some stuff at the time just- you know, we're talking, I mean, this was the 90s, so, like, the, the Internet wasn't really as big as it is now. I mean, not not even close. You really couldn't find a lot of stuff, uh, especially information on, on a niche like, you know, pro wrestling. And so, originally, I, I was writing letters to pro wrestling schools, like, like, like normal letters with stamps and envelopes and all that. So, like, I think I wrote to Dean Malenko's school and... Um, like, like some ones in like Ohio, Boston, uh, All Pro Wrestling, which is up in San Francisco Bay Area, like um, places like that that you would kind of see in like PWI, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Um, 
but I was only 13, and at the time, it was uh, not normal for, A, there wasn't a lot of schools and, and gyms to, to learn how to wrestle, and they weren't openly advertised as much as they are now, and they weren't as well, I guess, regulated and put together as far as businesses go. So, you know, you kind of had to, uh, it was hard to find them, and you, you had to really be like 18 or 21 in, in most cases, to kind of start, and so for me at 13, it was, it was really hard. I, I didn't think I was going to have an option, but luckily I grew up in Los Angeles, and um, you know, there's a lot of lucha libre culture there, um, and once I found the gym in San Bernardino, I came to find that there's a, there's a lot of lucha libre gyms in the area, and they were all willing to take me in, doesn't matter how old you are, that, that's the beauty of that culture. It's kind of like with boxing, like if you're old enough to put the gloves on, you're old enough to do it, like... If you're old enough to walk, they'll, they'll teach you how to wrestle. So they, they, they let me do it. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because now it's it's more commonplace that the earlier you train, uh, the more likely success is kind of to follow you. Whereas if it's the other way around, it's a lot harder. Um, in your experiences, have you worked with those that have you felt that, you know, you've got really, when we think about it, over 20 years worth of experience between training and that, anyone that you've been in the ring with, uh, not necessarily saying names, but that you felt, you know, if if more seasoning behind them, training earlier would have probably helped to benefit or that they can keep up or um, something along those lines? Um, you know, yes and no. Most cases, I think no, actually, because it's a really unique art to be part of, and uh, uh, there was a reason why in the beginning, uh, you know, for decades, you, you really didn't see people doing it until they were, like, post-college age, and um, even to this day, guys really hit their stride around, like, 30, 35 years old. Like, most, of the, most guys kind of reach their highest success around the mid-30s. Um, and the reason for that, in my opinion, is because the, the art form itself is based on, on uh, you know, it's a living, breathing atmosphere with the live audience. And so you kind of have to have a lot of life experience in order to, to, to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, um, you, you think of it like a pop star, like a music artist or something like that. Actors, a lot of their best work doesn't come until they're like 35, 40 years old um, in terms of like, the content of their art. Um, and if they put out great stuff when they're younger, usually you come to find that that stuff comes from people who were like very wise beyond their years and they, they kind of matured at a young age. And that's it's the same, the same thing with wrestling. So I, I see a lot of times when uh, gyms and like the PC at WWE is like this, where they try to adapt the, the process of trying to train people like, like Olympic athletes or like team sport athletes. So, you know, you, you try to train them through that process. And in some ways that can help, like, you know, their physical abilities and things like that. Certainly the world has gotten a lot greener, so, like, people take better care of themselves and things like that, and they prepare better. But I don't think you could ever truly break the chain of, like, necessity that it takes life experience in order to perform in front of in front of a crowd, you know, to, to be able to tell stories and to react to them, to be able to relate to them. So most cases, I feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot better, you know, people that I come across, 
they get better with age usually, and the tipping point is usually in the mid-30s. Oh, definitely. Um, and you can see that in a lot of today's um, talent, that whether it's in an independent show or on a major promotion, um, you lose sight of their age because their work is just so smooth and so uh, fluent. So, um, Now, there's a name that it was said that you had used or as, as far as a nickname years ago. Maybe you can clarify. Maybe my pronunciation on it is going to be incorrect, so maybe you can help me. Uh, is it Panoy Boy? Yeah, that's, you nailed it. Oh, exactly how you said it. okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> what what is the nickname? What does it mean? What does it represent? Um, what did it stand for? So, when I was in high school, uh, middle school, high school age, uh, a friend of mine. He's also Filipino. It's a Filipino thing, and uh, and I was given the nickname Pinoy Boy, uh, just like as a playful thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started wrestling, I didn't, you know, have an idea of, like, a carved-out character or or anything for myself. I, I was not, and to this day, I'm kind of still like this. I always have trouble building for myself. <laughs> I'm really great at helping other people. I'm, I'm bad at helping myself. Um, I'm not, I was never, I'm not a big fan of, like, my own stuff. So I couldn't really think of what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to wrestle. And so in the beginning... I was basically just myself. They had to throw me in a mask to uh, kind of hide my age. And so I used that nickname as, as my name, and that was, that was kind of my nickname for years because of that. Uh, what does it translate into, though? Does it... Um, Pinoy, just, it, it's just another... It's like slang for Filipino. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's all that really means. Oh, okay. Neat. Um, interesting. Uh, so now you've undergone so much training throughout years and I'm sure the training never stops, but different places teach different things and different, um, bodies of work will, will build on someone's skill set. You're training between both North America and say Japan. Um, what would you say the, the differences, the most glaring differences between both would happen to be, and what'd you walk away with from both experiences and even specific trainers? I mean, it kind of depends. America is a, a really a mixed bag of, of, I guess, training, so to speak. You know, it, back in the day, it was a lot like, you know, I guess like what you hear about, like the Hart family's upbringing. You right. know, like a lot of, you know, tougher, stoic, like catch wrestling style stuff. And I mean, I'm talking way back in like the '50s and '60s. Um, but somewhere along the line, you know, probably around the Hogan and Flair era, uh, and, you know, probably because of what they did to change the game, uh, that changed the way people were brought up in America. So now those values kind of died out, and you don't really see that a lot uh, as much here. Um, So before that time, I I probably would have said Japan and America is about the same, because at least in New Japan, like a lot of the stuff that I was getting that was implemented uh, when Inoki founded the company was stuff that came from, like, you know, Gotch and stuff like that. Right. And that's a lot like what people were doing in America. You know, you, you, you if you uh, know, like, the, um, uh, the Ganya camps and stuff like that for AWA, like, and Flair and those guys, like, that generation, the way that they were trained is, like, the same way that I got trained in, in New Japan. Um, now Japan is 
still mostly that way. Um, it's really ingrained in, 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 in the, you know, grappling and boxing and stuff like that. America is obviously a little different. Now you kind of have, like, combination athletes. It's like, I don't want to say training gymnasts because it's not necessarily gymnasts, but, like, CrossFit athletes. You know, I guess it's kind of the best way to, to express it. And ironically, Mexico, which is normally known for, you know, such great physical wrestling, like their acrobatics and high spots and things like that, mm-hmm. um, I came to find that I learned mostly how to be a character there. That was the best place to learn how to uh, perform in front of a crowd is, is in Mexico. Like, I, I feel like that culture has the best sense of how to have, like, a presence in front of a crowd. That's what I learned the most down there. Um, I had read things where in Japan, they can be almost the hardest group to try to convince and that sometimes fans are almost sitting on their hands. Um, whereas, as you pointed out with Mexico, um, it's very it's very different. And do you cater your style based on your environment or do you still remain TJ Perkins, but there's little nuances that um, are more highlighted in different places? Uh, I mean, both of those is pretty much the same answer. Uh, I guess the latter is the most accurate, but, you know, like I said, this this art and all this, the whole game is based on life experience and being able to work with a, with a, with a live crowd. So it's essentially a game of communication. And just like in communication, the first, the first rule is knowing your audience. So. Um, interesting. Uh, now, a career that's spanned over 20 years, one of the things you had pointed out was that, uh, you know, you, now wrestlers are maybe taking better care of themselves, but uh, what other things can you say that has attributed to, say, your longevity? Because it seems like there's more risks taken, um, whether you're watching a major promotion, more dives, more of those types of things that are done. Um, would you say that the risks you take are more calculated, or uh, what is what would you attribute to your longevity being in this as long as you have? Um, a little bit of that. I, I guess, um, you know, I've, I've always looked at it as a marathon and not a sprint. Mm-hmm. I knew that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Um, and I think at an early age, I was, start, I was able to identify, like, people's career arcs. Like, you look at guys like... Uh, you know, except for John Cena, he's really kind of an anomaly. Um, he's really the, the only anomaly I can think of. <laughs> um, everybody else, if, if you're looking, if you narrow it down to, to very carved out characters um, and certain performers, like the top guys, their, their shelf life really was, you know, maybe five years or less. You know, because you, you, you look at, say... Hogan from 85 to 90, and then Brett from, you know, what, 93 to 98. Sean had about four years uh, in that span. Rock and Austin had about four years each. Um, you know, Cena's the only one that's like <laughs> it's 10 years. But, and every performer is, is pretty similar. Like, not that their careers are that short, but their window for really showing the world everything they can do, like pedal to the metal, is yeah. about that. And so in 
until you get to that point, I always felt like when I was younger, like I don't want to spend all my gas until the right audience is watching. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because uh, I would also see guys that were trying to spend their gas in order to get to that window. And guys would get there. Some guys didn't. And guys would do really well or, you know, to varying degrees. But every, in every case, it was almost the same. Like, once they got there, they had nothing left to give. Or they didn't quite make it there, and they didn't have anything left to carry them. So then they, they have trouble. You know what I mean? So right. I didn't want to be like that. And so the I guess <laughs> the fact that when I came into, like, the Cruiserweight tournament and it was like, okay, you got this, like, 18-year, 20-year veteran who they're calling a young up-and-comer still. Like, that was by design. I wanted to make sure I kept myself small and uh, gave everybody my best when I had the chance to show the most amount of people. So. Um, interesting. Uh, then it's really... It was smart on their part, though, too, but really smart on your part as to how to take care of yourself and prepare yourself for that particular situation. But when you look at a lot of guys and, you know, so what, it's interesting because it doesn't seem like there's any one set way to go about doing it. Um, because with some, they, if they're going to spend their gas to get to that point, what, what do they have? Is it, do you put pedal to the metal to get to that opportunity in a lot of independence where guys are just trying to get seen and spots or you're, they're having to do as much as they can in such a short window to get recognized. Or do you hope that you can hold off a bit and that somebody recognizes that and that a Gabe Sapolsky can, can carve that into turning it into something else. Um, what's your impression on how it maybe should be done? Well, I mean, I don't know. I've never been a big guy on definitive, uh, you know, process because I, I just think that every all of this is is it's water, you know. Like yeah. there's no, there's there's a lot of so much of it is out of our hands for mm -hmm. one, you know, timing and, and and different circumstances. No two no two performers are ever going to have the same circumstances and context as the next guy. Mm -hmm. So that's also another reason why I think it's insane when we, like, try to rank, like, our wrestlers and stuff like that. Like, right. it's insane because you can't you can't compare them. It's not fair. Um, everybody had a totally different set of history to deal with that got them to that point, and at least 50% of it or more was completely out of their hands. Right. So, um, and, you know, I, I don't think that there's a right or wrong way to do this either. I think it's just up to you if that's what you want to put in for what you're getting out of it. If that's what a guy wants to do, then that's up to them. But the other thing, too, is, uh, you know, there's two different kind of ways to look at spending your gas, so to speak. Like, it's not just physical, it's creative, too. You know, because at a certain point, if, there, if you've told a certain amount of stories, I mean, there's only so many stories you can tell. So even if you're healthy, if you said your piece in however many different ways you can, nobody wants to hear your speeches anymore, if, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, uh, you have to be careful about the stories you tell, too, because, you know, you're just going to be repeating yourself after a while, and you want to make sure that you tell the right stories at a time when you're going to reach the most people. Um, so... I think that, you know, to kind of take it full circle, again, it's a, it's a game of life experience. So the way to go about it is really it comes down to, like, how savvy you are. Like, 
Can you reinvent yourself? Can you get, can you use the same tools that you've been using, same tools as everybody else and still create something that's unique and special? Um, so you kind of can have the pedal to the metal the whole time as long as you're creative enough. And I think with life experience and, and you know, you, you develop that savvy over time and then you can, you can find a way to get it done without killing yourself and without emptying your notebook, so to speak. Now, you've scripted a lot of things in your notebook, and you've told several stories. In fact, you've told several stories throughout many different promotions. Um, in fact, competing in, we could say, the three largest in North America. What would you say, in being in parts of all three of them, you would... Um, what are the bigger differences, uh, not necessarily right or wrong, but differences that stand out in being in part of each of those different promotions? Um, you know, it... it it's oddly similar because, for the most part, a lot of different companies now, like, they're, they're being put together on the foundation of people that came from the same place. So, you know, when, when Ring of Honor was starting to form a certain way, when it was kind of drifting away from just being a, an independent upstart, like, the foundation that they started building was built from people that came from WWE and mm. people that were, you know, had experience with WCW and TNA and stuff like that. And then same thing in TNA, um, the foundation is built off of people that had success in WWE or WCW. So you kind of come to find that a lot of the process is the same thing everywhere. So it's just a different window to look out of it and tell your story. Um, now, do you think it's, could access or resources be why one is so much more higher than another? Or when you look at the WWE, if it's, not to try and compare, make a fast food comparison between like McDonald's and Burger King, but right, you, know, right. you know what I mean? But there's a reason why McDonald's is number one and Burger King's or Wendy's are number two or three. Um, what would you say maybe has made WWE so much more above and beyond where, uh, TNA and Ring of Honor just—they're still working. They're, they've got partnerships joint with different promotions outside of the country to try and help build their stock. And then, you know, AEW—a lot of uh, talk about how they may emerge. Um, but what do you think attributes to their success in comparison? Well, I think primarily it—it's it, kind of as simple as. It, everybody's going to remember the original. You know, like, mm. the first time you ever go to the store, and to use your comparison, like, the first time you, you know, go out as a kid, and, like, you're going to get food after school, and it's just like, we want McDonald's. Why? Because you see it, you've had it, and you love it, and so you'll come across other stuff. You might grow to have other favorites, and then you don't want McDonald's anymore. But generally speaking, in terms of, like, you know, match frequency, McDonald's is going to win out. It's the foundation. You know, it's like Coca-Cola. Like, right? you know, you just, it, you, you know, you, you grow up knowing it, even though you've never really been introduced to it. It's just one of those things. No. Um, so I think primarily that's the type of thing that will always stick in your mind. Like if you go to a restaurant, a lot of people, they order, even if they just want a soda, generally speaking, they say Coke. They don't, you know what I mean? Like, they might want a Sprite, but oh, the waitress or the person ordering might say Coke just because in their head they associate soda with Coke. So it's like with wrestling. I think, like, 
generally it's gotten to the point where people associate the word wrestling with WWF or WWE, like that sort of thing. So that I think that's the type of thing that lasts for so many generations. But, you know, the thing that I noticed, too, is um, they, they really make safe decisions and smart decisions. There's a certain efficiency that they have in terms of the business that, that in my opinion, that's what contributed to their success over time. And honestly, Vince is a genius. I mean, he's he's really smart. He he has his hands on the pulse of a lot of things, and his instinct is is usually really good. Um, I mean, people are going to criticize, but they're going to be there to criticize because honestly, when you're at the top, someone's there willing to try to or making every effort to try and knock you down because there's a reason you're on top. So, uh, and I think that's of course, where. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now you're. Social media outreach is uh, beginning to grow, too. Um, there's a lot of different things that you'll share. And on, from time to time, when we weren't seeing TJP, we wanted to get a chance to see him on not just 205 Live, but beyond promote, beyond the major brands, right? Beyond Raw or SmackDown Live. Unfortunately, that didn't come to pass. But was there any, um, if the opportunity had presented itself... Uh, um, not necessarily a beggars can be choosers, but if there was an option and if there was a place and uh, matches or series of matches in which you wanted to be a part of, which brand would you say would maybe have fit your character, your style? Um, well, Raw was the choice, actually. The last year or so that I was there, the plan was to get me back onto Raw. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really came down to just trying to find creative, uh, and then, you know, and in that regard, nothing just seemed to fit, at least in terms of what they wanted to do. So, you know, you can't really force the square peg in the round hole sort of thing. But, uh, that, that was what both my choice and the office's choice was for me was, was to put me back on raw. We just never got to that point and we just ran out of ideas. And that was really kind of what, (laughs) where that went. But, um, I didn't have anything against SmackDown. It just felt like the, the rosters were built different. And they have they were kind of top heavy on SmackDown, and then there's really no middle area. Yeah. Whereas I felt on on Raw, there was a wide open middle ground, and uh, I didn't have to try to shoot for the moon there necessarily because mm. the top was more narrow. So um, I just felt like that was a good place for me to to go and to start. Um, interesting. So it, it, so there were plans for you to be on Raw. Unfortunately, it just didn't kind of work out the way we all would have hoped. Yeah, that was the idea. We just couldn't get plans rolling that everybody kind of agreed with. Um, now, without trying to sound too much like a fan, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> complete admiration for what you do because um, we have a common friend uh, and... Every time I've spoken to him about your work, it's it's almost you made the comparison of water, and to say it's fluid and um, seamless because when you see some uh, grapplers, you, you see your Drew Gulaks and the way there's a real grinding effort. But when you seem to move uh, seamless from transition to hold to um, and it it looks so effortless, is that Again, is that life experiences? Is that what what would you say attributes the ability or the perception in in the way that your motion looks as opposed to someone else you might see, not necessarily be in the ring with, because you could be an armchair quarterback and look back and say, 
Um, well, he did it this way. I'm not sure if I would have done it, but what do you attribute your you stylistically for it to look as as fluid as it does? Um, I mean, a lot of it is just natural. Uh, when I first started wrestling, I um, I mean, I don't think that I was terribly good in terms of every aspect of it. Uh, but one thing I could always do is just not without thinking I could just wrestle. That's one thing I've always been able to do. Uh, when I first started training, I don't think I've ever been told twice to, like, have to ever do anything. I could, I, anytime somebody asks me to do something, I can do it, usually without demonstration. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is, is reps. Like, I have one of, my, one of my heroes in life is Kobe Bryant, and uh, his work ethic to me is, is uh, you know, that, that's paramount. And so I, I used to, every, every gym I've ever been a part of, I always had a key, like my own key. Mm-hmm. And there were times when I would, I would ask, you know, friends and tri- to, to come train with me, and, and we would go back. Like, I would go to wrestling practice at, like, 6 p.m. or something, be there for three hours. And then I'd come back at, like, midnight or 1 a.m., just unlock the gym and be there with a buddy of mine, and we would just go over stuff until, like, 3 a.m., um, I just, I would do that every day. I just couldn't, couldn't get out of the ring. So a lot of it is just repetition too, because I just put so much time into the things that I do. Um, I don't, I, I try not to like brag about it on like Instagram and stuff like that, but, but it, it, a lot of it is just simply putting so much work into it. And I'm not really a tough guy necessarily. Like I'm, I've never been an alpha male, like a bullheaded type of person. So, um, I think a lot of that grinding style and the way that people appear is uh, that's them kind of willing themselves mm-hmm. through their, their emotions. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I've, I've never I've never liked to take that sort of approach, like a strength approach. So, you know, a lot of times stuff came out smoothly because I was trying to <laughs> work around what other people were doing, not just in wrestling, but any other sport. Like, I grew up playing all sports, basketball, football, everything, and so... I could never beat somebody power for power. So I'd always have to be savvy and, and be slick about it. And so that just translated into the way I wrestle. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of coaches and stuff that would tell me, just make it look easy because you already do. Just make it look easy. So a lot of my heroes growing up were like Tiger Mask, Muhammad Ali. They just looked like it was so easy for them. And so that's just, I don't know. It's just the way it came out for me. Um, without... Um being as presumptuous on my end, if I was to see, like, make a comparison um, in your your style, and not necessarily the style, but uh, the fluid motion in which you're able to to use technical wrestling, I think a Zack Sabre Jr. kind of pops to mind with how he's able to make someone else's leverage almost work against them. Um, and much like yourself, you're able to do that. So, Yeah, a good, uh, a good analogy that I would always give people, I, used to, I think I even told Zach this when he was younger, because um, I remember when Zach was starting out and he really wanted to get into this type of style and he would see the types of things that I was doing um, and, and you know, he wanted to, to get to, to build a game like that. And I would tell him, I tell anybody this, like, kind of like making it, like you're driving a car and you, uh, you can make your turn, like a left turn, and you could handle the wheel with both hands inch by inch all the way around, finish your turn, then handle it all the way back inch by inch. But that's a lot of work. 
or you can spin the wheel, turn, and then let the wheel go and just catch it when it gets back to the right spot. Mm-hmm. You know, so th- there's two different approaches. Do you want to put all that work into it, or do you want to do it this way? Because there's two different ways, and, and I think Zach is phenomenal. He's, he's really become, you know, one of the most efficient and effortless-looking grapplers I've ever seen. Um, as a proud Filipino as you are, um, much like yourself, say uh, DJ Z, um, that's also out there and carving a name for himself. Why do you, do you think it's important for the culture itself, the Filipino culture, to be represent, represented um, or actively seen as part of the wrestling industry? Uh, we see Japanese, we see Canadian, we see uh, German, we see like this whole landscape of different cultures represented, but it almost feels like some aren't getting as much attention or as they should be. Do you feel like there is, um, not necessarily a market, but do you feel like there might be a growing influx of Filipino wrestlers that are going to start to, for fans to maybe keep an eye out for or look out for or to be an active part of? Yeah, I uh, I mean, that that's really been, started to become my life's goal now. Um, I don't know how far back, but at a certain point I decided that that's kind of maybe the most important thing for me is to be able to represent my culture in that way. Um, it's a huge demographic. I mean, huge. I mean, millions and millions of people. Yeah. And, uh, and we're so underrepresented. I mean, really, all we ever had was Manny. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it was important to me, uh, like when I first came to the company, they, they asked me in the Cruiserweight Tournament, like, they gave us our example, you know, stage intros and stuff. And I had the American flag, and I asked them, "Can you? Can I have the Filipino flag?" And I, I remember telling them, "You understand what it means to you, and what it'll mean to everybody else after, afterwards." And so they said, "Yeah," and, and uh, that's the reason why I wanted to represent that way and, and make that connection because we don't we don't have a lot, and that's. Uh, you know, I'm happy that we have the few that we do. You know, Batista obviously is the best of us, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously DJZ is a good friend of mine. Um, but, you know, a lot of guys, they don't really uh, claim it a whole lot. And uh, and that was that was something that was really important to me. Uh, in fact, that's, that's a lot of the reason why I'm a free agent now, because the, the my goal for the last year or so was to get back to that. You know, like Filipinos and Southeast Asians, like we want, we want our Mysterio and our Guerrero, and the community has reached out to me because I reached out to them, and that's what I wanted to be. And we just, you know, they couldn't think of a way to position me in that way. Maybe they'll have a chance to do that with DJZ, and I think that would be really awesome if they could because it's really important for us to have more people to represent us instead of just like you know me and Batista and Manny. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get more and, and uh, inspire more. Well, I, I asked that question because it was also uh, my father's girlfriend, who's he's very, she's she's family, right? And um, she's Filipino, and the way she just, she lives life. And I think, why isn't there more representation of just a positive effect and positive people and how proudly they speak of Manny Pacquiao and how much he represents to the country. Why can't that also be represented in, in wrestling or sports entertainment or whatever you want to call it? Um, and you know, it's great that you're pushing forward and making that a goal. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, it was a huge thing. I mean, I, 
to, I mean, even to this day, like, when I won the tournament and I won the Cruiserweight title, uh, the amount of people that cried tears over it, like, it changed people's lives. And that was really weird for me because, it, like, you know, it's a nice moment and everything. And in some ways, it's a dream come true, I guess, for me. But, like, the way that it affected other people because I was representing them, was it was incredible. Like, and so that just made me, like, more reaffirmed that, like, you know, this is something that I, it's a responsibility I have to, to do to do for them and, and to try to encourage other guys, like, like a DJZ or even Batista, even though he's, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, got tenure on me, but anybody who's part of our culture that I can encourage to, to reach out and, and represent more than, than I do. Certainly. Uh, now it's interesting. I had watched your appearance on worlds when the world's collide tournament took place, but there really wasn't like as much focus on you per se. There was, you know, everybody had their entrance. They were coming in and I'm thinking there's something different about TJ Perkins, very unlike what I'd seen before. And then you zoom in and like, no, he's not wearing armbands. He's got a lot of tattoos. Um, so, <laughs> so to what do you attribute, you know, the, the beautiful body art, the ink, uh, where was that coming from? What is the inspiration? What's the story that's told? Uh, some people just get it because it's cool, but um, is there a deeper meaning behind what you have? Uh, yeah, I, um, it's something that I'd wanted to do for, God, maybe 10 years, but it's really hard in this type of work, at least at this level, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, uh, because before, you know, I spent the last three years in WWE. Before that, I spent three or four years in TNA. Before that, I spent a couple of years in Ring of Honor. Before that, I had, you know, two or three seasons for this company called Lucha Libre USA, which is on MTV. And so, you know, that's like 10 years of companies that very closely regulated what I could do or not do with my body. Mm. <laughs> so I wanted to do this for a long time. And all it really is is... Uh, I guess the best way to explain it is, like, a lot of people had told me over the years, like, you know, you should write a book. Like, they hear about my life and being homeless and my career, and it's so long, and I've been all these places. I've been out all the places, really. And uh, I never thought about doing that necessarily, but I just kind of decided to start writing my book on my arms, <laughs> I guess. And uh, uh, so my right arm is all the places... These are all landmarks in my life, places I've been that are important to me and kind of the journey of my life. And uh, everything on my left arm is inspirations to me. You know, my family, my father, wrestlers that uh, have inspired me, people that have inspired me, um, things like that. Cool. Um, the inscription that's on your chest, uh, was it right peck? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, uh... So the right arm is landmarks in my life, and, and that inscription, is uh, it was written on the wall in New Japan Dojo when I was a teenager, and that was really my first wrestling job. Like, before that, I had wrestled for, I don't know, four years or so, and I was just doing whatever shows I could get on in Mexico or, you know, other states or whatever I could ditch school and do, but New Japan was really the first thing that was like the big starts my journey and I used to read it this inscription on the wall and it's what it is is a little kind of like a poem by Antonio Inoki and it's called The Road 
And it's just about not being afraid to start your journey and to take your first steps. You don't even have to know where you're going, but pretty soon a few steps becomes a road, and before you know it, you have a life journey that you've done, and you just can't be afraid to do it. And so I just thought, you know what, that's perfect to explain everything that's on the right side. Um, I want to get away from wrestling just a little bit. And um, sure. I'm going to have a little bit of a bone to pick with you, Mr. Perkins, because you mentioned that <laughs> you mentioned that Kobe Bryant is, you know, somebody that is an inspiration and someone you've looked up to. But as a Toronto Raptor fan, the number 81 still burns in my oh, mind, <laughs> still burns in my mind. And, um, you know, my, uh, all joking aside, um, I do have a question, though. LeBron being there, you could say short term, long term. What are your feelings on on the Lakers, what do you think is going to happen with them moving beyond this year? It's, you know, he's in L.A., and maybe there's other opportunities that come with that, but what do you see for the team itself? Well, it's weird. You know, I, uh, I think it's going to be an odd crossroads coming into the summer. I, I thought before this year the key was really that we had a lot of young guys that I think were better than people think they were. Right. Like, if you were an L.A. fan, I know it's, it's weird because when we talk about it, it sounds like bias, like a Lakers fan talking up the young guys. And I would see that with other Lakers fans. They would take all this crap from people that they're like, ah, you're just saying that because you're a Lakers fan. But it's like we do see them every day, and we know how good they are. But other people who aren't watching Lakers, because people didn't want to watch the Lakers if you weren't a Lakers fan last few years, they haven't been that good. Mm-hmm. But they're really good players. And so I thought, okay, you know, when they start getting into year two, three, and four of their careers, they're going to be really good. And now with a guy like LeBron as the anchor, you know, maybe they didn't need a second big free agent because these guys are going to end up being stars themselves. But, you know, it's, it's a weird dynamic. And I think they thought they would develop quicker than they did. And I, I sort of worry that they're going to ship them off this summer in order to to try to either jump up in the draft or to uh, to get somebody back in return, obviously. Um, for me, I, I'm a lifelong Lakers fan, so like a lot of my favorite years weren't even the winning years. I just liked certain teams. Like I liked when we had Sabalos and Van Exel and Eddie Jones and, um, you know, rookie Kobe, like that year. And, uh, yeah, I liked the early 90s and stuff like that. So it doesn't really matter to me, but I know Lakers fans, that, you know, they've, they want to win, so. Well, yeah. I know if, if making a comparison to the Yankees is one um, for iconic sports franchises, but they're definitely up there, too. And uh, getting back to that getting back to that sense of prominence is so important. So um, before I do let you go, uh, was there anything that uh, T.J. Perkins would like to share um, as far as what to anticipate for him for the balance of 2019? Anything he'd like to promote, make us aware of, encourage, or share? Well, I, this period of my, I don't know, life, I guess, <laughs> I have the most amount of both wrestling and non-wrestling projects going on that I've ever had. So, in the next, I don't know, month or so, i got to wait a little bit before I can really get back in the ring anyway, but um, I'll have a, a new website coming out that is not anything big. It's just kind of a little one-page thing that we'll be able to have, like, my own personal, like, schedule and tour dates and, uh, you know, a web store that, I, that I'll open and, uh, th- and different news and things like that. But, you know, I have 
schedule that I can't wait to share with everybody as uh, far as wrestling goes for the rest of the year. Um, I, uh, I'm working on developing a screenplay for a horror movie. Oh, super. Hope, yeah, which I hope to get a short uh, film pretty soon. Um, I am in the early stages of developing a television show, uh, a traveling television show, which I'll hopefully be able to shoot pretty soon. And uh, and uh, with uh, my shop, I'm working on uh, kind of launching not just with wrestling, but like uh, like a small clothing line and stuff that you might be able to see in certain places. And a friend of mine is developing a comic book uh, that I've been working with about. I got a lot of cool stuff coming out in the next few months that I'll be able to uh, to reveal to everybody. But just I guess stay tuned to my socials. Uh, both my Twitter and Instagram is Mega TJP. And uh, that's really all I got. That'll be up soon, so you can check out the schedule. But a lot of cool stuff coming up uh, over the next few months. Fantastic. Um, before I let you go, uh, we do a little game here on Pro Wrestling Post, the Pro Wrestling Post podcast. I'm just curious if you'd be interested in doing it. Our phone here is dying, so this would be an exclusive if I can get you back on the phone. <laughs> okay. Uh, the game is called Wrestling Tinder. Um, much like regular Tinder, if you're interested in that pretty face, you can uh, swipe right. If you're not, you're going to swipe left. Uh, only we're going to do that with wrestling topics. Um, okay. Okay, so intergender wrestling, always popular in somewhat controversial. Um, swipe right, swipe left. Uh, you know, I've always looked at wrestling as an art more than a sport, and same thing as you know, I don't think it's a problem for Black Widow to do movies, so I, I'll swipe, uh, I guess, would that be right? Okay, that? yeah, go I'll for it. That. Yeah. yeah, swipe right. Okay, so um, so in the event that the phone drops, you might have to try and pick it back up. But uh, thoughts of, of its role, because, you know, there seemed to have been some teasing of it with Nia Jax and Dean Ambrose uh, from a major promotion, but um, I had the fortune of seeing Mia Yim face Matt Riddle and it was pure poetry. Um, what are your thoughts? Would you take partake in intergender wrestling? So before it became this popular thing among the indies, which is way before it started becoming a seed planted for the major companies, uh, I actually had a lot of matches with Candice LeRae, uh, Sarah Del Rey, um, cheerleader Melissa and different people, Gail Kim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I did it, it wasn't, it wasn't really billed as intergender wrestling or even anything special. I just thought them and I was willing to do it. And, uh, and so it was just, you know, two wrestlers getting in and doing their thing. Um, so, you know, I, I'm glad that it's become a platform for people, but I was just seeing every performer is a performer. So if you can do it and go do it. Oh, outstanding. Super. Um, wow, we're at nearly 45 minutes. I was only, only hoping to take about 25 to 30 minutes of your time. And, uh, I appreciate the time that you've spent with us, TJ. This is just amazing. I'm hoping, uh, it's been worth your time too. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. Um, on behalf of TJ Perkins, who's got a busier 2019 than some people have, um, definitely we definitely thank you again for your time and your energy and uh thanks again thank you very much uh on behalf of tj perkins this is mark madison for the pro wrestling post podcast 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pro Wrestling Post podcast. We encourage you to visit our website, prowrestlingpost.com, and come back next week for more interesting interviews only on the Pro Wrestling Post podcast.